I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we talk to Ed Hanshu, CEO of OneCanto, and he's answering the question, why Bitcoin? We have that and headlines. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Thursday, June 17th, 2021. Let's get into those crypto prices because we have a longer show today. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 1140 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $38,951, up 0.5% in 24. In the number two spot, Ethereum, $2,405, down 0.7%. Tether number three, Binance Coin number four at 356.27, up 2.3%. And Cardano's in the number five spot, pretty much even from yesterday, actually even from yesterday, at $1.50. Running out the top 10, Dogecoin, XRP, USDC, Polkadot, and Uniswap. Total market cap, we're at $1.61 trillion, and a BTC dominance of 45.3%. And in our main conversation today, we're talking to Ed Hanshu, CEO of OneCanto. And we're answering the question sent by a listener, if you can't spend Bitcoin or people don't want to spend Bitcoin, then why Bitcoin? How do you convince people to get into it? Here's the answer. Ed, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Doing great, Matt. How are you today? Great. Thank you very much, sir. Um, I want to start off with reading this question from a listener. And the listener said this. Hey, Matt, I have a quick question. I'm catching up on your podcast and I noticed that on June 11th, you said you are a hodler. I'm w- with you on this, but how do we explain the value of the use of crypto if you don't want to spend it? I have a problem when a lot of people are trying to, to ask what is good with Bitcoin, but we're not spending it. So what is the value? Can you help me answer this question? Yes. Yeah, so the value of Bitcoin, I think, is ge- uh, geographically determined, right? So if you're an American like ourselves, and I'm assuming most of your listeners, the value is a store of value. And the way to the escape valve of central bank uh, inflation policy. I mean, CPI inflation is running hot. We see it getting hotter year over year. Uh, so that's that's our store of value. We're not ready yet to spend it. But for those that are in, let's say, less privileged countries or countries that have actual currency crises on the ground, uh, like the Sudan, Tanzania, Nigeria, Turkey, and and now El Salvador who is very much tied to the USD, it is actually being used as a peer-to-peer cash settlement system, mostly through the Lightning Network uh, due to lower transaction and quicker fees or lower transaction fees and quicker quicker settlement times. So it's, it's bifurcated in that way. If you're in a good country with sound, relatively sound economic policy, it's a store of value and a hedge against political malfeasance. If you're in one of those other countries that have currency issues and are experiencing high inflation, Sudan's like 300 percent, it is actually a store of value and a means of transmission to buy and sell things. Excellent. Excellent. Let's just focus on those uh, countries with sound economies, as you said, and I would assume that's probably the United States. However, there is a question about um, inflation. There's a question of why buy Bitcoin as a store of value if this is a sound economy. 
So you can have a sound economy um, in relation to other economies. So right now we have beggar thy neighbor type monetary policy where every central bank's inflating at relatively the same rate. The, the appropriate analogy is the frog boiling in water doesn't necessarily realize the water is getting too hot until it's too late. Um, if you can look down the road further than a year, five years, 10 years, if you have lower time preference, then you can, can see that there is a, a spot for Bitcoin to fit as that store of value and that opt out from the ever inflating dollar. The stats, what, 30% of US dollars ever created were created since March of last year. And that's just starting to trickle into the real economy with lumber, art prices, home prices, uh, as well as CPI core prints inflating at what, five and 4.8% respectively. You told me about an interesting effect the other day. And I, you know, there's a couple of things I really want to touch on, but uh, this is really interesting. The Cantillion effect. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, uh, the Federal Reserve's where money gets created, right? So let's look at liquidity. That's, that's a perfect, real quick, before we go into the Cantillion effect, because we have this on our list, so we'll talk about what is the Federal Reserve really quick. The Federal Reserve is a private corporation that by federal charter is able to print and control the U.S. monetary policy. And the dollars in your pocket are Federal Reserve notes. They're not actually claim or redeemable against the U.S. Treasury. All right. So now that we know that, the Cantillion effect, sure. So if uh, they print money, let's call that money liquidity. Right now, you have a lot of liquidity sloshing around in the system. Um, the way I like to think of this process is the Federal Reserve is a faucet, and they control how much water comes out of it. The closer you are to that faucet, the more water you're able to get before other people get the water. So with that, you're able to do things like sell it to the people downstream at a profit or put it into other assets and, and, uh, and get away from or cause inflation, giving yourself preferential gains. Um, the people that benefit from this are typically Wall Street executives, people that have their assets tied to the market, um, wealth managers, investment managers, hedge funds, politicians, even because of their preferential investments that they're able to make uh, due to legal loopholes. The people that are most harmed are those living on fixed incomes. So think of your police, teachers, um, low income individuals that don't have much upward mobility at the moment today. Uh, they are living on fixed budgets. Things around them inflate while their income stays relatively the same. Wages haven't kept pace with inflation since roughly 1970. And you say that this is by design. Yes, it is the actual intent and purpose. I posit that that's why the Federal Reserve exists. It's so that way some people have control over monetary policy and the distribution of that money, and they get to choose who it goes to first. Uh, we would call that at best crony capitalism. At worst, I would call it just blatant fraud. Um, and then that's that's why central banks exist. It's under the auspices of the greater good, control inflation, unemployment remains steady, yada, yada. But the real purpose, you just look at their actions, is to make a select few group of people richer at the expense of others. And richer at the expense of others. But Looking at this from the uh, person that you said I was on the fixed income, they are always making less and less money because of inflation. And that's just the way the, the system is set up, even though under these fixed uh, salaries or, or wages. Um, it, would you say that, that a lot of different, I would say, trends that we see now are because of this, because of, let's just say, dual income households or multiple jobs and so on and so forth? Yeah, that's actually a great point. The uh, If you go back to 1960, 1970, 70s America, dual income households was an anomaly. 
right? Most people had one, one parent working. Most people were in a dual parent household uh, where one parent worked, one stayed at home to, to raise the children. And then due to inflation and wages not keeping up with inflation, that forced half of the population into the workforce. And, and uh, inflation is, is, the, is theft, in my opinion. It's silent theft that nobody votes on, and it affects us all. So I guess that goes back to the original question that we asked at the beginning of this conversation. Does it matter if we're not using Bitcoin as a transactional value or currency? No, at this point in time, no. Uh, the bigger issue for the majority of people is that that uh, melting ice cube, that's the value of the US dollar. And most don't have a way to counteract that. Bitcoin is that escape valve. Uh, if we get to where I think things are headed, uh, you'll you won't have to sell your bitcoin for millions you'll be able to eventually buy things with it but we're not there yet uh, we're not we're not at that need yet fiat's much better to buy your coffee with at this point in time than bitcoin but that will eventually flip you said inflation is theft and i, I want you to, to do me a favor paint me a picture paint me an idea in my mind of what a world will look like without inflation none of us has ever lived in it None of us actually knows what it looks like. Uh, nobody under, understands really the consequences or the pros and cons of that world. Can you kind of help me Im imagine what a world like that would look like? Yeah, it's where it, it, uh, it moves the world from a consumer-based materialistic society because right now people know that their dollar is worth less tomorrow. So it makes sense to buy things to at least have, right? And that it, it devalues savings. And that's by design because we live on a debt-based system. Um, when you go to a savings-based economy or more an Austrian economics fundamental economy, that you need savings to create capital. Capital creates is used for investment, which then creates prosperity. So we've been faking the capital creation process by using debt. When you move it to actual capital and expenditures, you might have some consumerism type of items go down. But I think on net net, I think it's a benefit for humanity in, in the way we treat each other, in the way we in both business and socially. I, I, I guess what I was asking with that question is, OK, yes, thank you for explaining the economics of it. But I want to know, like, what does our day to day life look like? What does my day to day going to a job? What does it look like when it comes to paying my bills? What does it look like when it comes to the 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 things that we purchase, the things that are created, the supply to the, the demand. Like, what does my life look like if my earnings wasn't being inflated? Odds are you wouldn't have to work as much to try and keep pace, to keep steady state. Um, as far as what you buy or how you pay your bills, it would be very similar. But I would expect that the increases in those bills would be lower. Uh, and theoretically, the, they could go down. Right. If if you think of um, savings as a battery of your output and it doesn't get inflated away, then your work today is actually worth more tomorrow if you don't spend it. So your bills become cheaper and your clothing, your house, everything should eventually become less expensive in you know Bitcoin terms. For instance, a house could cost one BTC today, could cost 0.1 BTC 10 years from now. Devil's advocate here. 
right now we keep working, we keep buying because we keep because we we it's like a a never ending game of we have to get more because the more is getting further further away from us, right? Um, we have to earn more money because houses are becoming more expensive. We have to uh, go to work and work more hours. So we're like the 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 way that it's set up right now is fueling us to be participatory here. If this is the inverse, do you think it would encourage people to not um, do things? Do you think there would be no reason to go to work, no reason to innovate, no reason to, or at least not as much reason to, um, or incentive to create new products? Do you think that this could be a squeezing effect the opposite way where a lot of people just say, or even companies say, hey, I don't know why I'm providing electricity because it's just, it became so cheap. Yeah. So, well, as with all things, markets will find an equilibrium. I would say right now what you're referring to is the tax cattle situation, where the real reason we have inflation is the benefit of few, but also the side benefit of increasing prices increases tax revenues to the government. So that's that's that rat race type of scenario that you just worked through. Um, in, a, in a separate system, I don't think people will just sit at home and, and not do anything as theorized in the UBI situation. I would expect people to potentially work less and focus more on family time and, and other items. But overall, society needs that. I mean, if you look at it, there's if you look at our health outcomes, a lot of that is tied to stress, overwork, and, and this keeping up with the rat race to pay more, to work more, to pay more. Um, we could all use a little bit less of that. And if that does mean that a few less Nike shoes are sold each year, but more children have time at home with their mom and dad, I think that's an overall benefit. Moving into El Salvador, that was a huge event when they declared Bitcoin as legal tender. Massive. Um, Massive. You say massive. Then that's exactly what I'm going to ask you. How big of an event is that, and why is it massive? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's a historic event. It's the first time somebody has formally put a competitor against the U.S. dollar, um, and it's it's not so much that the State Department or the Treasury Department are put on notice with this. It's more the Federal Reserve and the IMF that have been put on notice. Uh, I would expect El Salvador, Tanzania, Cambodia, a lot of these dollarized economies look at the way that the US dollar functioned in the great financial crisis when the Fed started quantitative easing and the Fed caused untold amounts of harm to developing countries through exporting inflation, caused massive starvation, massive unemployment, a lot of issues overseas that we didn't see here at home. Uh, El Salvador, I would assume, sees that coming again and they are pegged to the dollar. Their country, their country runs on the dollar and most of their citizens don't have access to dollar banking. So this was uh, the first kink in the armor, so to speak, right? And that's why shortly afterwards, the IMF was on the phone with El Salvador and trying to push them, I would assume, in, in a certain way. Um, dominoes start with one, right? So if you have El Salvador fall, uh, Tanzania is starting to think about it, Sudan starting to think about it, you have a lot of grassroots efforts in Nigeria. And what you're seeing is the free market and it started at the free market level in El Salvador as well, at Zonte Beach. Um, the free market's choosing harder money and something that is out of the control of 12 people in the Eccles building and choosing something that's 7 billion people could input the value of. Would you say that this is, I have two questions that came out of this actually. People are saying that this is a misdirection from the uh, El Salvador 
president because there's a lot of heat coming on him and he's an expert mar marketer. Uh, so he's doing this in, in, in a way to kind of like get people to focus on something else besides him and his, what he's actually doing. Uh, so that's the first one. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. And the second one is, what is this shift saying about the American uh, economic uh, supremacy and the dollar supremacy? So to the first point, I think it's inconsequential. Um, the president, Bitcoin's bigger than any individual, it, bigger than any government. Um, you can try and implement Bitcoin and you can try and change it as Bitcoin has seen over the years. Many people have attempted, it's anti-fragile against both various levels of attack, including state level. So whether uh, the president of El Salvador is implementing Bitcoin for his own personal selfish reasons, the benefit or the net effect is that the people on the ground benefit as having access to the hardest money in the world, uh, regardless of what his own personal ambitions are using that as a marketing ploy. The, um, I'm sorry, the second question in terms of the USD and dollar hegemony, hegemony um, I think it, it puts us on a path where that's more plausible than it was two weeks ago which is phenomenal. The petrodollar, uh, people could feel free looking, looking it up, really started in 1971. And that's why we've been in endless wars. That's why the US dollar has been inflating at such a rate. That's why we're in all these foreign countries with diplomatic missions. And that's why we're supporting the Saudi government or kingdom. Um, the US dollar, petrodollar was a way for us to remain relevant. And I think even after we lose the petrodollar, which it's fiat money. It has to go away at some point. It's not going to last forever. Um, I think it's better for America and the world to be on a standard that nobody controls individually versus one that a central party controls, because it could be a harmful central party like China. If you have a bad actor or a communist regime controlling the global reserve currency, that's that's worse for everybody. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's where we're at it. Wonderful, Ed. Thank you very much. Uh, all the listeners that are listening right now, there's a lot of things to grab onto and rabbit hole with this um, and, and deep dive. Uh, you recommended a couple of books to me and a couple of ways to deep dive. And also you have a company called One Canto. Could you please uh, do me a favor, some book recommendations and tell us a little bit about One Canto? Yeah, uh, book recommendation, I would start out with uh, Creature of Jekyll Island. That goes into the history of the Federal Reserve and the formation of the dollar and a lot of the politics and situations that were occurring around that, also how it coincides with the IRS creation. Um, as far as Juan Canto, we're a best price execution platform focused on digital assets and FX. We work with brokers, OTC desks, and uh, large corporations on improving their pricing and saving them money. At Hanshu, CEO of Juan Canto, thanks for coming on the show and telling us the importance of Bitcoin. Thank you, Matt. Moving into today's headlines. Coinbase co-founder Fred Ersom said on Tuesday that when examining crypto, there's a danger that regulators will underestimate the opportunities involved while over-amplifying the risks. He said, in quote, Crypto is a nuanced issue and that it's possible for the U.S. to get crypto wrong. Crypto is the next internet-sized opportunity for the United States, which has the potential to create as many, not if more jobs than the internet. End quote. So what he's trying to say here is all of the people that are talking about Bitcoin right now in Washington pretty much don't know what they're talking about. We need to make sure that regulators understand crypto before they make regulations. Also, with China currently cracking down on Bitcoin mining, this is an amazing opportunity for the U.S. miners to seize the initiative, to seize the mining power, to seize the hash rate. 
bring mining to the U.S. And of course, use wind, hydro, solar, and thermal. The Republicans' campaign arm is now beginning to accept contributions in cryptocurrency. But here's the caveat. While the NRCC is accepting cryptocurrency, it will swiftly convert the funds into fiat. The RNCC, or the National Republican Congressional Committee, will use the payment processor BitPay, which is actually the same one I use for my campaign. What's really interesting is that this is going to test a lot of campaign finance rules. We kind of understand it for individuals, but for committees, congressional committees, that is going to be an interesting test. And finally, Mark Cuban said live and learn when he just got rug pulled. The bottom has fallen out of Titan, part of a multi-chain, partial collateralized, algorithmic stablecoin ecosystem from Iron Finance. And billionaire DeFi investor Mark Cuban's wallet might have fallen with it. The price of Titan fell to zero, prompting Iron Finance to call all of the holders to withdraw liquidity from the pools. This is what they call a bank run. Cuban was one of the liquidity providers, in which he announced his involvement on June 13th. Well, three days later, he tweeted this, apparently with a turn of events. I got hit just like anyone else. Crazy part is, I got out. Thought they were increasing their total value locked, then BAM! Guess you live and learn. Remember, Mark Cuban, don't feel sorry for him. He has billions, or maybe just one billion, or two billion. I don't know how many billions he has. He's a billionaire. And he lost maybe millions, which is not much for how much he has. But there are people who got rug pulled that that is their savings. That was all they have. Now, of course, everybody can say that you shouldn't put that much in, but let's feel for them. If they got rug pulled, feel for the people that lost 50% of their net worth, not 0.002%. A friend sent me a message today. And said, I was in the same pool as Mark Cuban. Lost a lot, but hell, I'm still going to farm DeFi. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. I'll be back tomorrow. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Send me an email for listener questions. Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. Until tomorrow, happy hodling everyone. <laughs>